Thank you for joining us today for the Church of Rock Calgary podcast. If you'd like to find out more about us or have any questions, please email info at cotrcalgary.ca. We hope you enjoy today's message. We actually have a special guest family with us today, and I'm going to take a moment. The, the kids are all in Kids Rock, and you, you heard from Javis, who's 10, but um, Dave and Shyla Manishin are here from Medicine Hat. Maybe you can stand for us, both of you, and just turn around. I know. It's called embarrassment, but they're mature, right? Dave and Shy, just a, a little bit about them. So they started going to our church in Medicine Hat in 2004, so about 15 years ago. They were working with Eagles Nest Ranch at the time, and uh, that's a camp near Medicine Hat. And so our Bridge Church, um, they, they started attending, and by the time we left in 2010, uh, Dave was a youth pastor at the time, and then he became the associate pastor with um, Richard and Margaret Clock, who followed us, and now he's a lead pastor. He and Shiloh are leading that church, and um, it's a great church. Um, we still miss it. Still miss some of the people, although there's a lot of new people there. But um, you're, you're really blessed today. You're going to really enjoy hearing Dave. He's an excellent communicator. And Val and I just have a soft spot for this couple. We love them. We kind of look at them like spiritual kids. That's okay. Uh, we really love them a lot. So give a big, warm Church of Rock Calgary welcome for Dave Manishin. Good morning. How's everyone doing? Great, great. Uh, Ian was just, uh, you know, just kind of tooting our horn there. I just have to tell you how much that we love you guys as pastors. Um, Ian and Val, I actually, I started reading a book called Hero Maker. Um, and uh, in this book, this author is, I can't remember his name, Dave or Warren or something like that, but um, he, he laid out this foundation. It's basically like a church, you know, kind of leadership book. Uh, for anybody that's interested, I highly recommend it. It's a, just a foundational, phenomenal book. But in this book, he talks about how a lot of times us pastors, and I'm going to be real with you guys for a moment, we like to be heroes. Do you know what I mean? Like, we like to be, like, needed. We like to be, like, like respected. We like to be, like, looked at and kind of thought, like, man, that's a person that I would follow. And, and anyhow, in this book, this author, he writes, he's like, that's, that's the wrong way of looking at things. Right? We can't be, you know, and, and how it kind of pertains to this situation is like, we can't be heroes. We need to be hero makers. And, uh, and honestly, it's kind of just shifted my mindset, even in how I approach church leadership and what we're doing as a church within our city. And uh, you know what, um, as Ian was kind of just saying, like, you know, kind of giving us a little bit of a back history on my and Shy, or Shy and I's time in Medicine Hat with them, um, you guys have to know that you guys are in the presence of hero makers in Ian and Val Bird. Um, you guys are tremendously blessed with them as you guys as lead pastors. And I know the rest of the staff and the rest of the leadership team, I would think, you know, would be in agreement with that and are probably hero makers themselves. But uh, Ian um, took a chance on me as a youth pastor back in 2009. And I'm going to be real, I sucked as you. Am I allowed to say suck? I was the worst youth pastor ever. I'm not going to lie. Like, just, 
youth, I mean, I know that I'm obviously amazingly good looking and hip and all that stuff, but, you know, relating to youth, it just wasn't my jam, you know, and, uh, uh, and Val, you know, being a hero maker and taking a step and, you know, a faith was shy, Val had been leading the music ministry in our church or that church for, I think, since we were fetuses maybe or something, but, you know, taking a chance and saying, hey, shy, I think this is your gig to run, and, uh, um, that in itself, guys, is why they're hero makers, because it's not all about just elevating themselves. It's about multiplying leaders, multiplying disciples. And so this is just Shai and I saying thank you, thank you, thank you to Ian and Val. <laughs> Tremendous couple. So this morning, I want to bring a word that uh, it's just simply called, uh, I think as a slide, do we have to be a slide to must have life hack? Um, how many of you guys have ever heard of life hacks before, right? Life hacks are awesome, right? And the reason I've titled it must have is because there is a big difference between kind of like a life hack or something that you want to do and something that you have to do, something kind of like followed by that must have mentality. You know what I'm talking about, right? For, for Shy and I, right, in our lives, we've experienced this shift between kind of like wanting to do something and having to do something. And the shift was simply this, is after Ian and Val left, and you know, like we were part of that church since 2004, and I mean, it was just honestly, it was just a a very grooming experience as a son and a daughter of, you know, a a spiritual son, spiritual daughter of Ian and Val, and you know, we basically kind of went into it, you know, into the lead role a few years later, uh, due to the fact that Richard and Margaret Clock, I don't know if you guys know who they are, but uh, they were the ones that uh, our leadership team kind of decided they need to be the next ones to come into this church and, and lead it to the next level, the next gear, or whatever you want to call that. And, uh, and, and, and about a year into them being there, they started asking Shyla and I, hey, we really think that you guys are supposed to be the lead pastors. I mean, I'm talking like a year and a half after Ian and Val left, and to which we thought, heck no. We've seen the stress. We've seen the arrows in like, you know, Ian's back and Richard's back and Val's back and Margaret's back. We've seen the, the trials and the hardships of being lead pastors that we thought like, hey, we love you and all. We love people, but nope, right? Not going to happen. Until, until a moment happened in our life, we were invited to a church in Lethbridge and it's Friends Church. It's called Victory Church and it's led by a guy by the name of Kelly and Joylyn Stickle. And basically we went to their church because just some weird connection happened and they invited us to come. And so we went and we experienced their church and man, it was just awesome. And, you know, and at the very end of the service, Pastor Kelly gave an opportunity for people to give their hearts to Jesus. And so, you know, me being like the super duper spiritual person, I didn't close my eyes at that moment. I like peeked around and looked and thought, who's given their life to the Lord today? And it was 13 people in that one service. They do three services. 13 people in that one service gave their hearts to Jesus. And so something kind of began to stir in me as it pertains to our church in Medicine Hat. And we were just kind of like comfortable in the way that we did church, but we were kind of feeling like there was something different for us as it pertains to reaching people who don't know Jesus. And so we went out for lunch with Kelly afterwards, and I began to ask, because I'm sure many of you have already thought it, like, what about those 13, right? Because Scripture calls us to make disciples, not converts, amen? And so I began to ask him, I'm like, hey, cool, Kelly, what's the process now? You've had 13 people, like, say, I want Jesus in my life, but what happens now? And he began to extra- basically extrapolate the process for me and says, well, we've got an administrator and basically we don't really look at the hands. 
you know, we only look at the ones that we can actually follow up with, and those are the ones that fill out the little connect card that says, I want Jesus in my life, and you know, our administrator gathers those cards, and she takes them, and she compiles a list, and then she sends me an email that I can go ahead and we can contact these people and follow up their discipleship process. As he's telling me this in Earls in Lethbridge, his phone chimes. And he's like, oh, there it is. And he shows me this list of 12 people. 12 people that decided that they wanted to root their lives in Jesus. And you know what happened in that moment? Because we had already been talking about doing church different, about reaching people who don't know Jesus. And it kind of began something in me of like, I, man, I, I kind of want that to happen. But you know what? When he showed me that list, I, I began to weep in Earl's. I mean, I'm sure those people looking at me like, what is up with him? Does grandma just die or something? And I'm weeping because I'm thinking like, you know what? God, I, I have to do this. And so that was on a Sunday. And so on a Tuesday, which is our office day, I ran into Pastor Richard's office and I knocked on the door. Actually, I just opened it and I said, hey, you've been asking us if we want to lead this church for a year and a half. The answer is yes, I want to start tomorrow. And we had, I think, probably the quickest transition in LifeLink's history of all churches because that was like April and we had took over in June. And honestly, it has just been a tremendous, awesome, amazing journey for us as a church. I mean, you know, we inherited a church of 110 people and by God's grace, we grew it down to 50 and it was awesome. And, 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 but since then, as Ian just pointed out, there's a lot of new faces because there's a lot of new followers of Jesus in our church, and it's just awesome. And this is what I'm talking about, is because we switched from a want to to a have to mentality. From I, I want to I must. And you guys might be thinking like, well, that, that's cool and all, but let me just explain real quick. That's what Jesus was all about, wasn't he? Because if you look back in scripture, you can see that portion where G, G, Joseph and Mary take Jesus to celebrate the Passover and they, they pack up the minivan and get everything and they go to Jerusalem, right? And then they pack the minivan up and head back to Nazareth. And then they forgot God in Jerusalem, which to be honest, I kind of find encouragement because I've lost keys, but I've never lost God. And they go back and they say to Jesus, what were you doing? And do you remember his response? Didn't you know that I must be about my father's business. And so I want to challenge you this morning as we kind of go into this idea of life hack. That's awesome. But I want you to really be thinking of this word must. Where are you in terms of what we're going to discuss this morning as it pertains to do I want this or do I have to have this? Because as you guys know, life hacks, I think, are sometimes beneficial in our walk, not just in our like walk as parents. I mean, you can... Look, parenting life hack, you're going to find a lot. You can find a lot, you know, like as cooking life hacks, right? Like uh, how many of you guys know that you probably need a knife that can cut through a shoe, right? There's a life hack, get a better knife, right? Or perhaps maybe you've heard of this one, the life hack of like, if you want two tacos while you're eating a hard taco, just put a soft shell underneath. And as you spill everything, it's like, bam, you got second taco already ready, Right? Or perhaps maybe it's the life hack of, if you want to get back on your own two feet again, just sell your car. <laughs> but the, here's the thing. Here's the thing with life hacks, and it's this next slide. A life hack is just simply defined as this. It's an uncommon solution to a common problem. 
right? Because many of us, we would say, well, we've got problems in life, and we're always looking how to do things better, right? Ian mentioned we used to run a kids' camp, and we would always do this because we had skaters, and I love skaters, right? But sometimes skaters are, at least they used to be, the laziest people that we could possibly ever fathom to know. And hear my heart, I love you if you're a skater, but I mean, that's just the way it was back then. And so when we would come up with like a, a problem that we needed a solution to, do you know what we did? We would ask the skaters to do it. Because that way we were able to figure out the easiest possible way to get something accomplished, or with the least amount of effort. But I mean, that's, that's essentially what a life hack is. It's an uncommon solution to a common problem. And so a lot of times in life, we are aware of problems that exist already in our life. But sometimes, sometimes there's a problem that exists in our life that we are completely unaware of. You know, understand what I'm talking about? Back in the 1900s, early 1900s, there was a guy by the name of King, right, to which I would think, well, his parents probably had issues, you know, of like, you know, like, we want this kid to be loved. But I mean, who names their kid King? He was probably the type of kid that got, like, participation awards for everything, you know what I mean? Like, but there's this guy by the name of King in the 1900s, and he was a little bit older at this point, and he thought to himself, you know what, like, you know, because in the 1900s, remember, everybody had glorious beards like this one, right? But then, you know, became the, uh, the, the new movement of, of shaving those off, right? And so this guy kind of thought as he was shaving, he was like, man, it's just like every time I have to go in, I have to sharpen this dang blade. Sorry, am I allowed to say dang? I said suck it in, dang. Forgive me. But he goes, he goes, he's, I'm just tired of, of having to sharpen this razor every time I need to shave. And so you might know him by his last name, King Gillette, because he was the inventor of the disposable blade. Because he thought this common problem, maybe it was just him thinking like, I just, I, I'm tired of having to shave this blade. I would much rather have an easier way, a better solution to this common problem. And so, you know, it became the disposable razor. And so you can see how it was perhaps for some people, they were content shaving and sharpening, shaving and sharpening. But then once this disposable blade came out, they were like, that is a uncommon solution to a problem that I didn't even know I had. And so you can understand that as it pertains to life hacks, sometimes in our life as followers of Jesus, there's problems that each of us have. And I think that there's a problem. I'm going to be real with you guys. You know, Ian said, Dave, just speak your heart, speak whatever you want. So I'm going to ask you just kind of just shovel your feet a little bit forward, okay? Because we're going to step on them this morning. I hope that's okay. But I want to talk about this common problem that I think, to be real with you, 100% of us struggle with at some point in our life. And so in Scripture, you know, there's this verse in Scripture, and before they put it up, I just want to give a little bit of backstory. But Jesus was kind of like walking and talking with his disciples and, you know, kind of just hanging out. And then, you know, there's this bystander, this young man, as Jesus is speaking, kind of blurts out this question. And then Jesus' response, not just to the individual, because Jesus didn't just always speak to the individual. He always kind of gathered people around because what he had to say was so worth hearing by more than just one person. And he turns to his disciples in response to this guy's question. And this is what he says in Luke chapter 2. Go ahead. He says, watch out, be on guard, your guard against all kinds of greed. To which, honestly, I think a lot of us would say, well, man, Dave, man, you don't even know. I'm not, I'm not greedy. Right? And to be real with you, I've been in ministry for like 15 years. And I've never, ever had somebody come up to me and confess Pastor, this is what I'm struggling with. I, I think I'm struggling with greed. 
It's not something that we easily admit, is it? I mean, I'm going to be real with you. Probably Pastor Ian has probably heard numerous things. I know in my life I have had, you know, people come and confess like, hey, I've actually got bad news. I've cheated on my spouse. I've got bad news. I've, 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 I've gone and, 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 and looked at this lustfully. I've got bad news. I've gone and, you know, I've, 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 I've acted in complete anger towards my kids, and now they resent me, and all these different things, all these different kind of confessions. But not once have I ever heard, Pastor, I think I'm greedy. Because it's not something, it's kind of like the bad breath of Christian character, isn't it? It's always easy to spot greed in someone else, right? But in our own hearts... It's kind of like, no, I, I don't, man, I think, I don't think I'm greedy. And so because greed doesn't manifest itself in our lives of just like, oh, bam, you know, big red blinker. That's greed, that's greed, that's greed. Because us Christians, us believers, us followers of Jesus, we kind of have a way of twisting things. You know what I'm saying? Kind of have a way of like, like just, just dumbing it down a bit so it's not as wrong, right? For instance, right, we know that offense or being offended with people is super wrong. Right? It's like this place of like, man, we should not be there or being bitter, right? So we change it. I'm not bitter. I'm not offended. I'm just, I'm just hurt. And so we kind of dumb it down, and it's the same thing with greed. Well, I'm, I'm not greedy. I'm just good with money. And we switch it, and all of a sudden, it's a good thing. But people, guys, you got to understand, this is a come. This is, man, I struggle with greed all the time. It doesn't, you know, it doesn't look like greed. You know what it looks like? I've got this list, actually, that the guy's going to throw up here on the screen. But this list isn't like, you know, Dave's ideas for what greed looks like. I, I spent a few hours researching what does greed look like in the normal human being? How does it manifest itself? And so you can go ahead, you can Google it later, but you're going to find that your answers, the ones that you find, are very similar to these. Somebody who's greedy will lack financial boundaries because somebody who's greedy believes that everything they have is for their own consumption. And so when you live under the consumption assumption, as Andy Stanley calls it, this is what you do. You become this person who has no financial boundaries because in your greed, you think like, I don't have enough, right? I mean, I, 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 I struggle. I mean, I, I, I need that. I want that, right? And so you lack financial boundaries because you're lo you look at what you have and you say, man, it's not enough for what I need. And so then you become super stressed and bummed and, you know, like just like just down in the dumps because of what you don't have. And so what do you do? You go and you spend more, most likely on the charge of MasterCard or Visa or Amex or whatever the store credit card is it that you have. And so you become caught in this cycle because then what you do is you go and you buy and you get a little bit of reprieve and think like, oh, my, my financial appetite has been met. This is great. This is awesome. But then you look at the first bill that comes and you're like, oh, dear Lord, man, I don't have enough. And to fill your tank again, to feel better about yourself, what do you do? You, you scrap any financial boundary that should be in place and you go right back to MasterCard, and you say, this is what I want to do. I want to spend. I want to I find that reprieve. I want to find that rest. And then you can see you're just in this cycle of this consumption, assumption, lack of financial boundary lifestyle. People, guess what that's called? Greed. Other people that struggle with greed will often look for loopholes. I mean, how many of you guys, you don't have to, you can raise your virtual hands if you want, Right? Kind of always look for loopholes as it pertains to your finances. And just think like, man, if there was a way that I could like maybe pay less taxes, oh, I know, not claim income. That would be awesome. 
we look for loopholes and thinking like, man, and it kind of falls in even in line with the bottom one of just like, man, I'm a believer. I'm a follower of Jesus. I deserve better. Jesus said the enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but Jesus, he came to give life and life abundance. So, I mean, there should be loopholes for us followers of Jesus. There should be loopholes for us people that profess our faith in Jesus Christ because we are supposed to live an abundant life. And so we consistently are on the lookout thinking like, how can I, how can I leverage the system for my benefit? Other people that struggle with greed will often lack empathy because we consistently think like, I don't have what it takes to be able to meet someone else's need, so why be empathetic to where they're at in the first place? And, 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 and in, our, in our own state of lack, we lack the ability to actually empathize and see where other people are at and be real with ourselves to the point of like, maybe I can give, but in our greed, I can't. So why even, why even sympathize, let alone empathize, with where they're at. Greedy people will often have the once I have that mentality. A, a study was done years ago. Again, I'm a big Andy Stanley fan. and He did this study and he asked consistently, he asked people, he, he, I mean, it was a very upfront conversation. He would say, how much do you make a year in your family income? And so, you know, this person would say, well, we make $75,000 a year in our family. Well, then he would ask, define what is rich. And they would say, well, somebody who makes $150,000 a year. And so then he would go and find people who make $150,000 a year, and he would say, define rich. You know what their response was? Somebody who makes $300,000 a year. And then he would go, and you can see where this goes. It's like this mentality of once I have that, then I will have what I need. But see, the lines are a little blurred because they're not once I have that, then I will have what I need. They're once I have that, then I'll have what I want. And so greedy people, I mean, here's the thing, okay? I'm, I'm in this boat, just, just like the rest of us. Some of you are looking at this list and thinking like, oh, snap. I didn't think I was greedy, but as you're going through these things, I can see little glimmers, little glances, little things of like, oh, yeah, oh, yeah, that is, that is greed. But I, I, I hope you didn't come to church this morning to be discouraged Okay, because there is a life hack for this. Don't worry, the message gets better. Some of you are thinking like, wow, this is awesome. Came to church for a pick-me-up, and the pastor just pointed out that every single one of us are greedy. Not coming back there. Hold on. Okay, it gets better. Greedy people will often be, I think, honestly, I think always be insecure. And you know what? Again, it pertains to that thing of like, I don't have that. And so we measure and we compare ourselves against other people. And so when we feel that they have what we think we need or what we want, we're left in this state of being insecure in ourselves, being insecure in the fact that we're all sons and daughters of God. Greedy people will often be living in the frustration camp. I'm sure that Ian or Val, maybe, or maybe you've heard it before, you know, of the frustration gap. And basically what it is is like, this is the reality of where I'm at right now. This is my expectation of where I want to be. I'm not here. I'm down here. I'm stuck in the middle. And that is known as the frustration gap, where you're consistently just frustrated about the things that you think you need or the things that you want even. And you're just not there, and you're caught in this middle of like, man, my, my reality is just not what I expected at all. And I want to be there, and I'm, I'm just so frustrated. I'm so down. I'm so discouraged. I'm so despondent because, God, I just don't see my life ever being there. 
And lastly, as you can see, and this is, this is me, is this I deserve more mentality. And again, I honestly, I think it's a little bit laced with just being a follower of Jesus because we're consistently kind of told like, oh, you know what, like, like you should be blessed. You should be living in abundance. And you know what, there is verses in scripture that pertain to that mentality. And I do believe that we are to live abundant lives, but not just for ourselves. Not this I deserve more mentality. And so I want to bring to you guys, because as we look at this list, I think I've built a fairly compelling case that in every single one of our lives, there'd be an opportunity for us to be greedy, isn't there? And so, you know what, this is where the message gets better. Because what's the life hack? What is, what is the hack that we can look at, like, this being a common problem? What's the uncommon solution for each and every one of us? And guys, it's so, so simple. You want to know what it is? It's two words. Trust God. Just trust God. I mean, you know, we, we looked at this verse in Scripture, in Luke, right, where Jesus said, be on guard against all kinds of greed. The reason that he said that is because this bystander that spoke out, that like, you know, blurted out to Jesus, do you know what he said? It was so, it's so small. But he said, hey, Jesus, or Lord, or Rabbi, however he addressed him, he said, tell my brother to share the inheritance with me. To which, you know, just a pause for a moment, as a parent, I take encouragement in the fact that, you know, there was older people saying that because my kids always say that. Dad, tell Javis to share the Lego with me. You know what? Some one of these days, rather than addressing it as a parent, I should just look at them and I should just say, Javis or Kamea, be on guard for all kinds of greed. I think that would just be a Jesus thing to do. But here's the thing, right? In this moment, Jesus goes and he addresses it. He calls it out for what it is. And then being Jesus, he's so good at teaching and finding a moment and thinking like, how can I teach people about me in this kingdom mindset? And so he looks at them and he begins to tell a parable. A parable, for those of you who don't know, just a completely fake story that Jesus would make up on the spot. Just in a, in a mindset of just, I just need to get, I need to get the word across I want to drive home this main point. I want to just get people to understand one thing. And so he made up this story. And the story, as he told it, was about this young man, this farmer, this agriculture guy. And he looked out at his crops and he thought, man, my crops are abundant this year. This is amazing. This is awesome. And then he looked over at his barns and he realized that his barns were too small to house all the abundance that his crops were going to supply. And so he thought to himself, self, what should I do? And he goes and he says, I'm going to tear down my small barns and I'm going to build bigger barns to house the abundance that I will have in this place. It's going to be super duper trade of Cooper awesome. And he looks and he looks and he tears down and he builds and then he builds these big barns and the crop comes and, and he just sits there and this is what he thinks to himself. And it's a line probably many of you have heard in some movie, but in fact it originated in scripture. He says, if I have the abundance, if I have the once I have that, then I can eat, drink, and be merry. And so Jesus looks at him in this story as he's telling the story. And, you know, I can just imagine the people around were thinking like, what's wrong with that? That's a good thing. This guy was able to plan and be good with money. 
and build bigger barns for the abundance that God has given them. And God in the story looks at the individual that built and he says, you fool. He says, tonight your very light will, life will be taken from you. Who then will get this abundance? And so at first glance, you can kind of look and you can say, well, is that verse really about trusting God? Is this story really about trusting God? And I know there's many different connotations or many different ideas to extrapolate from that parable. But Jesus, I think, gives kind of like the, the zinger, the one-liner, the, the crux of the story that he was telling in the very next verse. And some people miss it because it's a different heading. You know how scripture has like different headings? But it actually says, then Jesus said, this is what he says, then Jesus said, therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life. This whole story was about just simply trusting God. And he even actually kind of like gives like action points or like, you know, to be able to explain or like understand it better. And he says, didn't you know, right? And you, I'm sure you guys have heard this. The birds of the air, they don't labor, yet their barns are filled. They get their fill every single day. And he equated it to the flowers of the field. They don't labor, but yet they're better dressed than any of us. They're better dressed than Solomon, the richest man who ever lived or ever will live. See, Jesus was trying to get people to understand, hey, I've got you. And see, greed is this. We hold on to our stuff. We hold on to our resources. We hold on to our finances as if to say, I've got me. And Christ is asking us, like, don't worry, just trust me. Because he, what he's wanting us to do is to simply open our hand to say, God, you've got me. And so for us right here in this moment, we can say, okay, that's awesome. I'm going to trust God. That's great. I'm going to go from here, and I'm going to just have the faith that God is my provider. But see, here's the thing, okay? I didn't ask you to have faith in God. I asked you to trust in God. That's the life hack here. That's the, the way out of a greed mindset. A once I have that, a I deserve more, an unempathetic gathering of people. The life hack, guys, is trust. And here's the, here's the, the, the difference. Because I've always thought, growing up in church, I, I mentioned I was, a, I was born a, a, a Christian into a Christian home. I, I mean, I lived my whole life in church. My wife has lived her whole life in church, right? I've always thought that faith and trust just coincided. It's like, oh, that's just another word for faith. That's like the Christian, faith is the Christian word for trust. But here, here's the thing, okay? Because I think, and this just maybe might be my opinion, maybe you'd share it with me or not, but faith is believing God is who he says he is. Amen? In the same way that we would look at this chair, we'd say, I have the faith that that will hold me up. But do you know what trust is? Trust is giving God a chance to prove it. Trust is actually going and choosing to sit in that chair. See, I think faith is everything. It's in our mind, it's in our heart, but trust is in our hands, it's in our feet. James would say, you know what, show me, you know, like, you, you know the verse, right? Like, show me, your, show me your faith without deeds and I will show you my faith by my deeds. He says, faith without action, faith without trust, what did he say? Is dead. And so, you know, for many of us, we would say, oh, this is, this I find encouraging. This is good. This is great. This is awesome. I just, man, uh, God, I can see where greed is in my life, so I just need to have the faith 
that you've got me. No, I want, I want to challenge you even further. I want to challenge you to activate your faith and to live in trust through your generosity. And here's the thing, okay, because I know when we speak of generosity, we can simply say, well, I know we're supposed to be generous with our time. We're supposed to be generous with our energy. And I mean, how many of you guys love, you know, uh, like people that are so generous with their encouragement? You know, like, man, I just, I love the way you do this. Like, sir, leading worship, awesome. Well done. I just, I loved it, the presence this morning. We can be generous with our encouragement, but I'm going to be blunt with you. Unless you're generous with your, oh, money, I honestly, I don't think that you're living fully a generous life. And the reason I say that, the reason I can say that is because Jesus talked about money a lot. I know in church, there's kind of this mindset, you know, a society has, like, they just want my money. You know what? Honestly, the church doesn't want your money. Jesus doesn't want your money. Jesus wants your heart. And he's very clear in scripture. You guys, you can go and test this. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And so it's not just about like, oh, it's just money, 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 money. But, but, but in a sense, guys, so often our heart, where we want to be with God, is so very linked to where our finances are. And so I want to challenge you guys. Like this idea of this hack of getting out of greed, it's not, it's not just simply believing God is who he says he is. It's choosing to actually act on that and say, you know what, God? My finances man, oh, this is tough, God. They're, they're yours. Right? I mean, I know Ian and in our church, we preach and teach the tithe all the time. Right? This idea that, God, I'm going to take and my wife and we live this and people in our church and they live this and I know people here, you guys live this. It's like you look at your finances and you say, God, off my gross income. Some of you are like, gross? That's gross. Yeah, but that's how we do it. <laughs> off our gross income. We choose to say, God, I'm going to give back to you 10% of everything I make. And here's the other myth. Because people often think like, okay, 90% is mine, 10% is God. So I'm going to just, I'm going to do it out of this legalistic mindset of like, that's what I have to do because duty says it. I want to challenge you to shift that mindset and say, God, I want to do this because everything is yours. And this is just a response of honor. This is just a response of me saying, God, I so trust you with everything that I have. Because a lot of times, okay, I, I know this, okay, we somehow think that generosity is like this ability that's based on resources, right? You know what I'm talking about? Like, I can't be generous because I don't have enough. But see, generosity is not an ability based on resources. Generosity is a lifestyle of trusting Jesus. And so I want to challenge you that maybe you're not a tither. And that's okay. You know what? And some of you might be thinking like, I don't even have enough. Just, you know, here's the thing, okay? Is in our church, we teach tithing, but we also teach percentage-based giving. Right? And then basically it's as we make more, we give more. As we make less, we give less. And so we're not tied to this certain dollar amount. We just look and we say, God, we want to honor you with 10 or 11 or 12 or 13, whatever we can. And we just say, God, I want to honor you. But maybe you're in a place and you're just like, there is no way that I can afford. Have you seen, have you seen how much houses cost in Calgary? Have you seen how much rent is in Calgary? So I get it. I know that some of you are in a place where you're like, I just, oh, I just, oh, I would, I would be on the street. Then start with one. 
Start with two. Start with three, wherever you can. Basically, it's this. Is I would challenge you to build a lifestyle of generosity in your home. Because you know what it's one? It's one that says, God, you've got me. I, it's not about me controlling things. It's not about me doing things my way, God. It's about you and your kingdom and me looking and saying, I trust that you have me. Generosity, it's not, an, it's not an ability based on resources. It's a decision to trust God. And, and the reason that I wrote, and you can go to the next slide. The reason I wrote lifestyle is because it takes practice, doesn't it? I, I learned this, this leadership thing. I went through a, a leadership kind of thing in, in Medicine Hat, and it was just super awesome. And, you know, and I'm not going to lie, this is the only thing I remember from it. It was like eight weeks long. This is the one thing I took. How many of you guys have ever seen this before? You ever seen that? It's a plus sign. You guys know what a plus sign does? Awesome. We're not talking about a plus sign at all. What I am, actually am talking about is, maybe you've seen this before, Oops. is the four quadrants of life. Have you guys ever seen this before? The four quadrants of life, okay? So many of us, we look at this idea of like greed and you know, kind of where we're at and, you know, it's that kind of thing. You know, greed is a lot of us maybe we're unaware and that's quadrant one is where you're completely unaware of a problem that exists in your life. And so many of us, right, as we talked about greed, many of us would say maybe uh, 40 minutes ago, we'd say, I'm not greedy. But now we're like, oh, I'm a little bit greedy. I got a little bit of that problem in me. And so you were unaware 40 minutes ago. But then what happened is as I discussed those issues, those things, we moved to quadrant two, where we're unaware, or where we're now aware of the things that we were unaware of before. And so it's like, oh, you know, we got these things, right? And a lot of us, I'm not going to lie, right? We tend to just be okay with that. I'm, I'm aware of the issue of greed in my life. I'm aware, I'm living here, and things are good, and, you know, we just kind of camp there. But, see, we're not called to live being now aware of what we were used to be unaware of. For example, in my house, I would come home from a long day's work. I'm trying to build a compelling case for why I was allowed to do this. Long, arduous day of work. And I'd come home and I'd sit my butt on the couch and I'd turn on the Oilers game, right? How many of you guys are Oilers fans here in Calgary? Yeah! Rebuild number 13. This is the year. But see, this is what I would do is I would come and I would sit home and then I'm sitting there watching the Oilers just suck like all they always do, except for McDavid. I mean, he's fun to watch. But, but my wife is in the kitchen and I just kind of hear like a pot slam down, you know, kind of not just like, not just like accidental. I'm talking like she was trying to get my attention. You know what I'm talking about? And so this is the thing is I finally I go in the kitchen. I'm like, honey, 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 what's up? She's like, you know what, would it, would it? Would it hurt you to ask if I needed help making dinner? I mean, guys, I love my wife. She, I asked her permission if I could share this. And she's like, just share it the true way. So this is the truest way that I can share. But do you know what, do you know what happens is I was unaware that she wanted help. Now I was fully aware that she did. And so the point, the problem, or the issue was, was I willing to move to quadrant three, which is where I'm acting on what I am now aware of. And so the next day, instead of turning on the game, I went downstairs. No, I'm just joking. I tried to make 
a point of saying, honey, what do you need? And then, you know what she did? She was like, oh, I'm good. Go ahead and watch your game. They suck anyways. <laughs> but here's the thing, okay, is for us, are we willing to move ourselves from this point of being aware of a problem in our lives to actually doing something about it? And the reason I say lifestyle, because this takes work. This takes intentionality. This takes, like, honestly, a little bit of hardship in our life, doesn't it? When you first become a giver, when you first become a tither, man, you know where that money's going, don't you? It's like, oh, I know I could do that with this. I could do that with this. I could feed myself. I could, you know, do this. And I, I am fully aware it's taking effort to get here. But the beautiful thing is, quadrant four is a lifestyle of building habits in quadrant three. And so that's why I say, guys, generosity, it's not like an action. Generosity is not like this, like, this moment of just like, oh, I'm going to do it. Generosity is a lifestyle of living, trusting God. And so I want to challenge you guys. I want to leave you with this question this morning. We do this at our church. Every single week, I leave people with a takeaway, with a main point, with this question, with this idea. Something that you can actually go from here and hopefully, hopefully apply this type of lifestyle. One that just simply says, God, it's going to take some work. But subconsciously, I'm going to get to the point where I live a generous life by trusting you. And so my question is just simply this. What if uncommon generosity became my common practice? And the reason I say uncommon, guys, is because, guess what? It is. You tell me another movement that gives away 10% of everything they make. It is so uncommon. So I'm not, I'm not asking you, I'm not challenging you to live a life of normalcy. I'm challenging you to live a life of uncommon trust in a God who provides. Do you know what I think is going to happen if you take me up on this offer? Go back to slide number four, please, Cliff. You know what you're going to see? You're going to see financial boundaries in your life. You're going to see financial boundaries in your home. You're not going to be one that looks for loopholes. You're going to be one that looks for opportunities to bless. You are not going to be someone that lacks empathy. You are going to be known as somebody who is completely empathetic to people's situations. You're not going to have a once-I-have-that mentality. You're going to have, God, thank you for what you've given me, heart. You're not going to be living an insecure life. You're going to be living a life that's saying, I'm secure in the fact that God has me. You're not going to be living with this frustration gap because you're going to be looking and saying, my reality is exactly where I'm supposed to be because, God, this is where you've placed me. And you're not going to be looking at life with this mentality of, I deserve more. You're going to be looking and saying, God, you deserve everything. What if uncommon generosity in your life became common practice? Let me pray. Father, thank you so much. God, you are so good. You are so great. God, we lean into you this morning. God, we trust you this morning. God, we have the faith, God, that you are who you say you are. And so, Lord, for some of us, God, I pray that you would challenge us, God, to move out of that faith mindset and into the trust mindset, God, we were our, where we are active in what we believe about you. So, God, 
Would you open our hands this morning? God, for some of us, God, help us, challenge us, God, even to just start small. God, looking and thinking, God, I want to get to that place of trusting you with everything. And this is how I can operate. This is how I can be in quadrant three, God, in an effort to move to quadrant four. God, would we be known as a church, as a people, as a gathering, as an ecclesia of people that trust you? Thank you for joining us today for the Church of Rock Calgary podcast. If you'd like to find out more about us or have any questions, please email info at cotrcalgary.ca.